Hey, welcome to the Recruiting Trail. I'm your host, Andrew Nemec of the Oregonian at Oregon Live, bringing you the latest in recruiting for the Oregon Ducks, Oregon State Beavers, and Oregon High School Athletics. We got to start with a commitment for Oregon State, the earliest commitment, I think, in my entire time covering Beaver recruiting. Cooper Jensen, the class of 2023 tight end, the number 24 tight end in the country, announced his commitment this week, choosing Oregon State over Arizona and Tennessee. He's visited a few times. He visited in the summer, really liked his trip at that point. He visited early this fall for a home game, enjoyed that trip, and then visited this past weekend for Oregon State's win over Washington. And that proved to be the final nail in the coffin for Cooper Jensen. I mentioned before that game that that was a huge game in terms of recruiting impact uh, for a number of reasons, but but the biggest being, frankly, that Oregon State, while they're doing much better in recruiting, California is is a major pipeline state that they're still kind of leaving on the table. There's still a lot of meat on the bone when it comes to the state of California. It's one area I know they can improve upon. Uh, it's been discussed. It's been something that they've discussed after last signing day that, that in fact, they felt that California was an area they potentially could do better in. So, so that being said, the Northwest is really their strength. And when you play Washington at home in your big year, in a year where it looks like you are going to potentially not only break your bowl streak, but potentially go to a big time bowl. And Washington's on the other end of the spectrum having a bad year. You can't afford to lose that game. It, it just hurts too much for recruiting. It, it hurts too much in the sense that Washington can go into any living room if you lose that game and say, in our bad year, we beat Oregon State in their best year at their place. So it was a massive, massive game. And, and Oregon State seemed to see that and seize that opportunity by hosting a number of Washington prospects. And, and one of them being Cooper Jensen. Cooper Jensen's dad, Jerry Jensen, was a star for the Washington Huskies. He played for the Huskies and, and went on to play in the NFL. Jerry Jensen was a big time Washington Husky guy and, and Cooper grew up being a Husky fan. And as he got older, he kind of went away from that to some extent, he told me, and, and it wasn't as enamored with the program as, as he got older, but that, that that was still, you know, something that he was very interested in the Huskies and, and their program. So, to beat Washington and land Cooper Jensen, a very talented tight end, who, whose father, again, played at Washington, was a major coup for the program. And, and again, Oregon State doing a really nice job kind of of these layers. And there, there is, there are layers to recruiting and, and hosting a number of talented Washington prospects for that week ended up being a, a stroke of, of genius, especially since they win. Dorian Thomas, the nation's number 19 tight end, was also there. Jack Velling, the tight end commit that a lot of people consider a steal uh, for Oregon State in the class of 2022. He was on hand for the game. He's from Washington. And then um, one of the best li- interior linemen in the country, Hatchet, a, an interior lineman from Washington, offers from all over the place, offers from all over the country, uh, Landon Hatchet. 
he was he's from Washington. He was on hand for the game as well. So Oregon State seeing an opportunity to bolster their grip with Northwest recruiting rather than shy away from it, rather than say, man, if we lose this game, it's, it's a big it's a big knock for us. They instead host a bunch of Washington prospects and then beat Washington, a really nice little feather in their cap on the recruiting trail. And it obviously pays off with Cooper Jansen. I had a chance to talk with 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Editor Brandon Huff. And, and he was really impressed with Cooper Jensen uh, at various times, seeing him in person and, and said he might be one of the best blocking tight ends on the West Coast. And so you think, okay, he's a blocking tight end, but that's actually not the case. And, and Huffman said the same thing. You watch his film. And he's probably a better receiver than he is blocker. There are a lot of really talented West Coast tight ends this year. Most of them are good receivers, and many of them are limited blockers. So when you get a guy like Cooper Jensen, who's a very good, very capable receiver, whose receiving skills are frankly further ahead than his blocking, and he still is one of the top two or three blocking tight ends in the entire West Coast, you're getting a major prize. This is a kid who's six foot five, 210 pounds. He's going to fill out some, but he can play some receiver. He could potentially be a jump ball fade guy in the end zone, kind of like what Stanford has run against Oregon. Oregon State and everybody in the Pac-12, frankly, in the past, uh, obviously had success with it against Oregon, beating Oregon last week late in that game. This is a kid who who is versatile, but again, the fact that his body's developing and, and that his blocking is where it is already is a really good sign. So Cooper Jensen, one of the earliest commitments, I think the earliest commitment for Oregon State in the time I've been covering recruiting. We are 14 months, more a little more than 14 months away from the early signing period for the class of 2023, and they've got a commitment. I know John Miller, the Tualatin linebacker, committed early. He committed in December. I went back and looked. He committed in December, uh, so a year before, but not 14 months before. So Cooper Jensen wins there. And then there was an early commitment, I believe, from Florida a few years ago that even when he committed, it was like, this kid's not staying with Oregon State. He's, I don't really get what's going on here. And he obviously ended up not going to Oregon State. And I even think he was 13 months before. So Cooper Jensen, an early commitment. And, and what this means, again, is Oregon State doing a nice job with Northwest recruiting. That fits into what I've been reporting for a long time. They do a great job with Northwest prospects. The other thing is they are ascending. They're a program that's doing better. And I mentioned even last year, after finishing 12th in the recruiting rankings outside the top 100 in the recruiting rankings, that they were actually doing better because they took such a small recruiting class that they couldn't have been ranked very high. When many programs signed 20 to 22 kids, they only signed 11. So there was very little chance that they could finish in the top 50 or 60. They just didn't have a big enough recruiting class. But of those 11, all 11 were interesting prospects and potential, you know, program building pieces, not necessarily superstars, but players that can fundamentally add to your depth in key areas, all 11. It was a really nice recruiting class for Oregon State. And so we've seen this ascension. They're doing better. Commitments are coming earlier. They're winning on the field. They're doing a nice job in the Northwest. These are all things that I've been talking about for about a year. And this Cooper Jensen commitment really highlights that. And another key point that this commitment highlights is something that I've been banging the table for now for several months. Coach Brian Wozniak, the tight end coach, is an ascending 
college football star. This is a guy who at the tight end position has developed Tegan Quatoriano and Luke Musgrave. Those are two players that are going to play on Sundays. Now, I don't necessarily think they're going to be top two picks in the NFL draft or top first two round picks in the NFL draft or anything, but I think they're going to get drafted and I think they're both going to have careers in the NFL. That's a big piece. He landed Jake Overman. Jake Overman might be the biggest recruiting success story in California for Oregon State in the last few years because, and and not necessarily because he's going to end up being the best player, but in terms of recruiting battle, Jake Overman was a tight end that Washington really, really wanted. And Oregon State traditionally has struggled, even now, going head-to-head with Washington. Oregon State's doing much better beating out Cal. They did it for Luka Vincic. They did it for Dylan Lopez in this recruiting cycle. They've they've beaten out Washington State a number of times. Utah, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State. The area that the next level for Oregon State is consistently, not every once in a while, consistently beating Washington and USC and Stanford and UCLA and Oregon for recruits. They just haven't done it a bunch. It's the it's the next level. But they did it for Jake Overman. Washington really wanted Jake Overman a couple of recruiting cycles ago, and Oregon State just closed him and got him. He's a California kid, three-star prospect, a valuable piece. A lot of a lot of Pac-12 schools were interested in him. Again, in the end, it came down to Washington and Oregon State. He chose Oregon State, and Wozniak was a huge part of that. In this recruiting cycle, the 2022 recruiting cycle, they landed Jack Velling, and, and there are a bunch of programs that want Jack Velling and still want Jack Velling. In fact, I talked to somebody connected to Washington Athletics, not the University of Washington, Washington High School Athletics, and they said they're they're still hearing from college football programs about how frustrated they are that Velling seems to be solid with Oregon State because he's getting a ton of interest. This was a kid who had an offer from Michigan, and until Michigan landed one of the top tight ends in the country, it looked like if they didn't land that kid, they would take Jack Velling. Michigan has a long history of developing tight ends and doing a nice job with that, and in terms of recent development, Oregon State's right there. Oregon State's done a great job developing tight ends. So this is a kid who had some big-time offers. He's extremely talented. He's only a three-star prospect, and I guess that comes from him being a tight end because if we're just looking at it, I think you could make a pretty good case that in terms of of value at the position, instead of just saying, well, he's a tight end, so that's not as valuable as a quarterback – uh, I think he could be a four-star prospect, Jack Velling. And, and I think the same could be said of Cooper Jensen in the end, that these are potential four-star impact players in, in Oregon State's program, particularly given the way Oregon State uses them. They use a lot of two tight end sets. They feature them in the offense, not just as blockers, but as pass catchers. And Jack Velling's a really nice piece. So you go back and you say, okay, uh, Wozniak develops Tegan Kotorian and Luke Musgrave. He has a big-time feather in his cap in recruiting by beating out Washington for Jake Overman. He gets Jack Velling, who's a big-time talent, who might be just in— and I know there's some really talented players in this class, with Melvin Jordan, a four-star, a rival's four-star linebacker, Dylan Lopez, the number three center in the country, according to ESPN. There are some really talented pieces in this class. But it is not crazy to think Jack Velling is the most talented individual player at his position in this class. He's very talented. So that's another feather in his cap. And now— 
Brian Wozniak can say, and I got the earliest commitment in Cooper Jensen, who's a very talented player, offers from Arizona and Tennessee. Now, the thing to watch with Cooper Jensen is going to be whether or not Washington pulls the trigger in the end. Because he's not as enamored as he was with Washington when he was a little boy. He grew up rooting for the Huskies. Um, he's not as big a fan as, as he used to be, but he still is. And Washington hasn't offered, but they are very interested in him. And they are looking at, and again, I've, I've mentioned this a few times, the, the tight end class in 2023 on the West Coast is absolutely out of control insane. There are probably 12 tight ends in the, on the West Coast that in a traditional year would be considered top four or five tight ends on the West Coast. There are that many. And it, you know, if you moved the number 11, the number 12 guy up two years or back two years, they'd be a top five tight end in the West. But because it's so deep, this happens to be a year where they're 11th or 12th. That's the way this is shaping up uh, at the tight end position. So these are really talented players. So Washington, when when they look at who they want to get, you know, Cooper Jensen's a guy that absolutely in a traditional year, they would have offered by now. They would have pursued heavily. But because the West Coast has so many, he might be fourth or fifth on their board, and they're still looking at one, two, three. So this recruitment, even though Cooper Jensen's committed, there's 14 months less. This this recruitment might not be over. Washington could enter the picture at some point if they miss on other guys and put on a full court press. Will it be enough? I don't know. Cooper Jensen really likes Oregon State. He really likes the offensive fit. He really likes, the again, the way they utilize them in their system. He likes Coach Wozniak. He has a lot of faith in the Oregon State program in terms of where it's going. So there's a lot of good things here. Oregon State trending up, Washington trending down. There's a possibility that by signing day, Jimmy Lake, again, we're 14 months away from the signing day for 2023. There's a good chance Jimmy Lake's not the head coach, not just after this season, but by the time Cooper Jensen signs, it will be next, the end of next season. It'll be December of next season. So there's a lot that could go on there. Oregon State looks like their their group's going to stay cohesive in terms of Coach Smith and and Coach Wozniak and and those guys don't seem like they're going anywhere. This is except upward, right? Upward trajectory, but they're not. They don't look to be leaving. They look to be pretty stable. So that's going to help them. So this is definitely one to watch, even though he's committed. Dorian Thomas, another player to watch, and and again, he visited the same weekends as Jack Velling and Cooper Jensen in the fall. And he, it, for earlier in the fall, and then he visited last weekend alongside those guys too. So you might be saying, man, Jack Belling's really talented. Cooper Jensen's really talented. Does this hurt us with Dorian Thomas, who's the number 19 tight end in the country? And again, because Oregon State runs a two tight end system most of the time, it shouldn't be a big factor. And Dorian Thomas is a different kind of tight end than Cooper Jensen. They play the same position but they develop as different kinds of tight ends. Cooper Jensen is probably going to be further along as a receiver. Although again, he's a very good blocker and Dorian Thomas might be more of your traditional old school, thick blocking tight end who also catches passes. But Cooper Jensen's kind of your modern can almost line up as a slot receiver or in goal line situations, line up as an outside receiver and catch a fade. Dorian Thomas is a guy who's almost always going to lean more towards being right on the O line. So these are two players that could potentially play together. I don't think they exclude one another. So that's a good piece. The other prospects who visited 
um, were also interested. Oregon State only had two official visitors. And again, part of that is because they have 12 commitments. I've mentioned on this show before, I think they're probably only going to take 15 or 16 because they're going to utilize the transfer portal. So they only hosted a couple of players, three-star wide receiver, defensive back, Sam Mason, and three-star defensive lineman, Dallas Vakalahi. Uh, Dallas Vakalahi, I cannot... Vakalahi? <laughs> Sorry. I cannot tell if he's a man of few words or if uh, he wasn't super enamored with Oregon State. Our conversation was very brief. Uh, he did call it an amazing visit, but he didn't go into a ton of detail. There's a lot of competition for his his recruitment. That doesn't mean Oregon State's not going to get him, but he did not rave about his visit. He enjoyed his visit, called it an amazing visit, but again, maybe he's not a big talker, but, but he didn't have a ton to say. Sam Mason, almost the polar opposite, the three-star wide receiver DB. I thought initially they might be recruiting him as a DB. I like his film at wide receiver. They like him better at DB, and that that does make sense. That falls in line with what the rest of the programs are recruiting him. I thought because they lost Cole Prusha, there was potential that they could see him as as being either or. He could be a receiver or a DB, and he said, no, 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 I'm being recruited. Even though he's being recruited by offensive coaches, some, uh, the relationship he's closest with is Blue Adams because this, the DB coach at Oregon State sees him as a DB. Uh, he said he was close to committing on his trip, that, that he almost got caught up in the excitement of it. He loved the trip. He's high on Oregon State. He went on the visit high on Oregon State. He likes Oregon State. And that just the win, the environment, the relationship he has with, with the coaches, the feel he has around the program, that that potentially would have been enough for him to pull the trigger. And he almost did, he said, and then decided not to. Um, he still wants to take visits to Colorado and Michigan before he decides. It'll be interesting to see what develops with Michigan. They're recruiting a number of highly rated players. So I think the big board would have to come down to him a little bit. And then Colorado obviously would be a priority. And and if you're Colorado, when you're recruiting DBs, you've got to be so frustrated with Oregon State. The best laid plans, uh, because they, they they have recruited DBs fairly well, except for the fact that they've just happened to lose some of those battles head to head with Oregon State. Rajon Wright, Nashon Wright, and I believe Alton Julian. All three were guys that Colorado really wanted and thought they were potentially going to get. And instead, Oregon State comes in and, and closes them out. And you look, Nashon Wright ended up being a mid-round NFL draft pick. Rajon Wright's having a pretty good year. Alton Julian's definitely a major factor in the secondary in terms of you know adding depth. Uh, he's not a star, but he but he's a talented piece who's developing and. This could happen again to Colorado where they identify Sam Mason and go, yeah, we really like this kid. Let's recruit the heck out of him. And Oregon State goes, eh, no, thank you. We'll take that. Uh, Colorado has plans for their secondary. Unfortunately, Oregon State has the same plans. And when we go talk about recruiting and going head to head, Oregon State has just absolutely owned Colorado when it comes to recruiting, particularly in the secondary. Again, Colorado's had a roadmap. To like, how do we get better in our secondary? Let's get these three guys. And Oregon State beat them for all of them. It's a brutal, brutal stretch for Colorado and and really a lot of fun uh, to cover because in a couple cases, I think those Colorado coaches thought it was a done deal and uh, that potentially after Oregon State got one, that there was going to be some payback. And instead, uh, it ended up being Oregon State again. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Sam Mason. But I do think... As long as Michigan doesn't go all in total 100%, you're our guy, we'll build around you kind of pitch. I do think Sam Mason ends up being a beaver. 
he might be your 13th commitment because it could be coming fairly soon. He does, again, he does want to take visits to Colorado and Michigan. We'll see if that materializes. He's very, very, very high on Oregon State as it is right now or as it stands right now. So good news all around for the Beavers. And everything seems to be fitting along the plan that I've, I've put out for about a month that they have 12 commitments. They'll probably get 15 or 16 and then we'll see a slow trickle of a handful of, you know, two or three transfers this fall as guys leave. And we've already seen the first of those with Andrew Chatfield, the linebacker from Florida. We'll probably see one or two more. Then they might be a winter uh, transfer that they get, or, or maybe not. You know, we'll see how it goes. And then they'll get a couple in the spring and maybe one late in the summer like they did with Sam Neuer. This is not going to be a, hey, check out our huge transfer hall we got this week. It won't be like that. You'll see a slow uh, addition of talent. As the off season goes through its course, and and a lot of this is guys transfer after the season because they're not happy with playing time. Sometimes you get a guy or two transfer in the winter, especially a younger player, because a school said we're not going to recruit over you, we're not going to recruit another player at your position, and then they do. Then there's definitely a another barrage, just like the major one in the fall after kids aren't happy with their playing time in the spring. Guys go through spring practice. They find out they're third on the depth chart. They find out they're second on the depth chart, or there's a new coaching staff. They go through spring practice and go, I was supposed to be a 3-4 inside backer. Now we're doing 4-3 and you're sliding me to the outside or whatever the case may be. Whether it's a coaching change or a depth chart issue, there's a number of guys who transfer in the spring. So I potentially could see a handful of transfers in the fall or a handful of transfers in the spring and then maybe one late summer or one in the winter. I think that's how this is going to shake out. So I don't think signing day is going to be the woohoo set off the fireworks major celebration. Oregon State was absolutely unquestionably on pace to finish with a top 50 recruiting class for the first time since 2013, this recruiting cycle. They were at 52 with 12 commitments. They were right there with only 12 guys. If they'd assigned, if they were to sign a traditional 20 man class, they'd crack the top 50. But they're not worried about the recruiting rankings. They're worried about talent addition. And again, and I've said this several times, transfers right now as it stands do not count in your recruiting class ranking. It's a separate issue. I think it's something that 24 seven sports is going to change at some point, but they aren't right now. Rivals, same deal. They're not folding in transfers into recruiting class rankings. So because of that, all these scholarships that are going to transfers in in terms of recruiting classes are zeros. You get a transfer from another school, he takes up a scholarship, how many points is he worth in recruiting? Zero. Whereas if you sign a two-star guy, maybe you get a handful of points for that. Who would you rather have, the former four-star All-American or the two-star guy because he bumps up your recruiting class a little bit? I think Oregon State's doing it the right way in terms of program building, but in terms of excitement on signing day, uh, it leaves a lot to be desired. Because again, look at last year. Last year, I saw columns just blasting Oregon State's recruiting effort. What happened outside the top 100? Unacceptable. This is terrible. And I went on radio and I talked about it. I didn't feel that way at all. I thought it was progress. Again, they only signed 11 players. You can't even really crack the top 80 with any chance. Even if you're a good program signing four-star guys all across the board, it's going to be tough to be in the top 60 or 70, even with all four stars, if you only sign 11 players. So you have to dig a little deeper with Oregon State. It's very nuanced. It's much more complicated than just, hey, they finished 10th. Hey, they finished 12th uh, in the country. That's pretty easy to understand. Hey, they finished ahead of LSU in Georgia. Pretty easy to understand. Hey, they finished 100th and they were behind Navy. Well, 
Navy signs something like 35 to 40 players because they join the Navy and they don't do scholarships the exact same way. So they have a ton of two and three star talents that aren't as good as Oregon State's individual 11 talents they signed. But because they got 35 of them, they're ranked ahead of Oregon State. But you'd much rather have Oregon State's class. Again, nuanced. But there's nothing nuanced about landing the number 24 tight end in the country in Cooper Jensen. It's an early commitment. It comes from your pipeline area. He's the son of a player that plays for one of your rivals in terms of recruiting. All good things, checking a lot of boxes, Oregon State doing not quite as nice a job in recruiting as they are on the field right now, because on the field, they're the number one team in the North. And in recruiting, they're probably not number one in the North. But definitely, we're seeing signs of improvement on the field, and we're definitely seeing signs of improvement on the recruiting trail. When we get back from break, we're going to talk, I was going to say briefly, but that's not actually true. We're going to get into a number of things regarding Oregon Ducks athletics, some football uh, prospects visiting here in the next couple weeks, including a five-star defensive lineman, an Oregon commit uh, just recently was invited to the All-American Bowl and accepted his invitation to the All-American Bowl. An Oregon high school athlete was invited to the All-American Bowl, and then Oregon potentially in women's basketball going to land a major, major commitment. We'll break all of that down here when we get back from break. Welcome back to the recruiting trail. A little bit of a quiet week in Oregon Ducks recruiting. They are on a buy, and when your program is doing well, it certainly behooves you to host visitors during home games. You win them. The environment's exciting. There's a lot to be excited about, and it helps you recruit. So this is not a week that Oregon's going to bring in a ton of talent. Their next game is a Friday night game, October 15th against Cal. And those can be very hit or miss in terms of recruiting because a lot of prospects have games Friday night. They have high school football games, so they cannot make the quick turnaround to take a visit. It has to be either a bye week or they have to be a program that plays on Thursday. So you don't traditionally see a ton of visitors coming for Friday night games, but we're already seeing a handful. Sir Mels, the three-star defensive lineman out of Nevada, said announced on Twitter that he will be visiting. Jalil Florence, the four-star cornerback whose stock is skyrocketing, he will be visiting. Anytime he's visiting, that kind of makes me think Jalil Tucker, the number five athlete in the country committed to Oregon, that he's visiting as well. They tend to be a package deal. No, not just because they go to the same high school. No, not just because they're both committed to Oregon. No, not just because they're both Jalils, but uh, they also happen to be very good friends. So the two of them tend to visit together. And if Jalil has the abil- ability to visit, uh, Jalil Florence has the ability to visit, it would seem that Jalil Tucker would as well, considering they're teammates. So if Jalil T- Florence has an open weekend, it stands to reason that Jalil Tucker has an open weekend. So I could definitely see him visiting. We will see who else is visiting for that week. That could end up being a big week, or it could end up being one of those things where just a handful of, of recruits early on mentioned that they're visiting. Again, Fridays are very tricky. Uh, every program is different, I know. But Oregon State's had a couple of Friday home games in the in the past couple of years where outside of local kids who decided to come on their own on unofficial visits they didn't host any official visitors because they couldn't they couldn't turn them around uh, maybe a transfer can visit but outside of that 
they just couldn't host anybody. It, it, there were too many games going on. It was too hard to get their travel plans figured out. So uh, that could be, again, the case for Oregon outside of players on by. It'll be interesting to see. Five-star defensive end Jaden Wayne, who's being recruited by everybody. He spent last weekend at LSU. He will be at Oregon on October 30th, a Washington prospect. Some people think he's potentially a top five player in the nation. He's certainly one of the top edge rushers in the country, one of the top defensive ends. He's going to be recruited by everybody. Alabama, Ohio State, obviously visited LSU, Oklahoma, Oregon, USC, Washington. Everybody's recruiting Jaden Wayne. So that's going to be a tough recruitment. He had a FaceTime call with Mario Cristobal and a couple coaches on the staff that went well recently, which is what led to him scheduling this visit. I think he's going to be a tough pull, but certainly going to be a player to watch in 2023. I've mentioned a number of times that I think that's going to end up being the best class in program history. I put nothing by Mario Cristobal on the recruiting trail. If he wants a player, he's got a very good chance of getting him because he's very, very, very good at recruiting. So Jaden Wayne is one to watch, but again, that's going to be a tough battle and by no means would I be willing to make the prediction that he's ready to commit to Oregon. I, I don't think that's the way this is going. This is going to take some time. Speaking of Oregon commits, though, uh, Isaiah Satenga, the Arkansas blazing fast track and field athlete slash football player, was invited to and accepted an All-American Bowl invitation this week. Satenga having a monster, monster season. It just seems like every time he posts highlights, he'll, he'll post something that's like 230 yards and three touchdowns on four catches. He's so fast, they can't cover him in high school. Uh, this is a kid who, as a sophomore, was the Gatorade track and field athlete of the year in Arkansas. As a sophomore, he broke the state record in the 60-meter and 60-meter hurdles. He won five state titles. Again, as a sophomore, this kid is unbelievably out of control fast. And in high school, it makes him basically uncoverable because he can just run a go. You can put him in motion so that you can't totally key in on him. Put him in motion, have him line up, and just run a go ball, run a nine route. And that's that's all she wrote for a lot of cases. And then if you give a 15 yard cushion, (laughs) like you need to do so he doesn't burn you deep, you just throw underneath and he's so fast, he can run away from you. He's going to have to learn some of the finer points of the receiver position at the next level, not because he's not good, but because he's so dang athletically gifted that he hasn't necessarily had to uh, do some of the finer points on the field in terms of route running and getting out of his breaks and his release and everything. He hasn't had to do all of that stuff as much as some other prospects. So it wouldn't shock me if he's not an immediate contributor, especially given the depth at wide receiver, but man, oh man, the ceiling is high for him. So congratulations to Isaiah. I really like Isaiah. He's one of my favorite young men in this class uh, on the All-American Bowl invitation and obviously acceptance. Uh, Darius Clemens, the Westview uh, four-star wide receiver down to Auburn, Penn State, and Oregon. He was invited to the All-American Bowl this week. He's already, I believe, been invited to the Under Armour All-American game, a very talented wide receiver. He's traveled all over and really proven what he can be at various camps. So he has shown it at a number of camps against other four and five-star talent. He's run a sub 4-4-40. He's already, I think, like 6-3-2-20. Big-bodied receiver. Really talented player. Going to be interesting to watch his recruitment. I know he's an Oregon player. I know he's an All-American Bowl selection. So you just think, well, Oregon's not going to let him go. 
And given the depth and the talent they have in the wide receiver class, it's going to be interesting to see how this recruitment plays out. I've talked to his family and they said Oregon is doing a phenomenal job of recruiting the whole family, not just Darius, but also his entire family, making them feel like they are very much a part of the recruiting process. So that definitely stands out that Oregon has done an exceptional job with that. At the same time, Isaiah is an All-American. Tatario McMillan might be the breakout wide receiver in the nation this year. He was the opening finals MVP this summer, the best camp in all of high school football. Uh, And he was the overall MVP of that camp. He is absolutely dominating high school football in California this year. He's a monster. Everybody already knows about Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton and Chris Hudson already on the roster as young receivers. So it's going to be interesting to see what Darius wants to do when there's all those receivers going to Oregon and also when Oregon has this many receivers already committed or at on campus as freshmen in the program. So I don't necessarily see that it's a slam dunk. He could choose Oregon. I don't think it's a slam dunk and I don't necessarily think if he chooses somewhere else, Oregon should be an Oregon fan should say, oh my gosh, they absolutely just missed. How do you let this kid leave? I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case. I don't think it would be a case of them letting him leave, but I also don't think it's a case of, um, you know, not wanting him. They want him, but with as much talent as they have on the depth chart, I think there are a lot of factors. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying he's not a priority. I think he is. I'm not saying Darius is likely to leave. He may, but I don't necessarily think it's absolutely likely. What I am saying is, given the depth, given the potential that Darius could see himself of saying, where are my reps going to come from early when there's this many receivers already on campus and this recruiting class coming in with me? There are a ton of talented receivers. Maybe Auburn is more needy of receivers. Maybe Penn State needs more receivers. And so I don't necessarily think that this is going to be a black mark on Oregon's recruiting history or on a kid who simply chooses to play football outside of the state of Oregon. It doesn't mean he's betraying anyone or doing anything like that. This could just be a situation where there are a number of factors that kind of add up to Darius potentially leaving. Again, he could still choose Oregon, but that's probably why it's not the slam dunk that maybe some people might think it should be or could be with a traditional prospect. Oregon women's basketball, big time, big time recruiting class. They already have landed uh, three talented, talented players the the headliner so far of the class is Chance Gray, the number seven player in the country. She's the number two prospect in the history of the program behind only Sabrina Unescu. They already have Jenna Asai, the number 35 overall prospect in the country, and they landed six foot seven Arizona prospect Kennedy Basham last week, a talented post player. We just learned on Thursday that Grace Van Sluten, the number 17 player, excuse me, number 13 player in the country, is announcing her commitment Thursday night. So depending on when you're listening, she has already made her decision. I might end up looking so, so bad in this podcast. I do think she's choosing Oregon. I have not talked to Grace. I hope to talk to Grace before she commits so I can have a story ready with quotes, but I haven't talked to her. And what makes me nervous is the last time I had talked to her, uh, she was, she had not yet visited LSU. She visited LSU last weekend 
and is now ready to commit. So maybe it's LSU, maybe it's Gonzaga. Those are the other two schools that are top three. I did mention on last week's podcast, I thought it would come down to Oregon and LSU. And that's where I think this is. But I think it's going to be Oregon. Oh man, this, this, this podcast could age very badly, very quickly. I think it's going to be Oregon. And let me give you some statistics on why that matters. There are currently only two programs in the country that have two top 13 commitments in the nation for the class of 2023. Uh, they are, or 2022, excuse me. They are UConn, go figure, number four and number five, Ayana Patterson and Usune Brady. They are the number four and five prospects in the entire country, again, committed to UConn. Oregon State has two of the top 13 players in the country already committed in Tamia Gardner, number six, and Reagan Beers, number 10. If Grace Van Sluten chooses Oregon, Oregon would become the third program in the country to have two top 13 players in the country committed to their programs. They already have Chance Gray at number seven. Grace Van Sluten is number 13. What's interesting about that is that Oregon not UConn, not Oregon State, also have other commitments in the top 60. So depending on how you want to view it, whether you view four and five, what's more valuable, UConn having four and five or Oregon having seven, 13, 35, and 58. If you're of the belief that four and five, the number four and five players in the country have not separated themselves that much more from 7 and 13, then Oregon's class with 7, 13, 35, and 58 might be number one in the country. Oregon State has a very good class with the number six player in the country, the number 10 player in the country, and then another player who probably will finish in the in the bottom half of the top 100, but still a very talented player. Would you rather have 6, 10, and then like 80? Or would you rather have 7, 13, 35, and 58. My point is you could make an argument that that's the number one recruiting class in the country because of it already has the top heavy talent. You know, UConn has four and five. Oregon State has six and 10. Oregon has seven and 13. Those are the only two programs with or three programs that would have two top 13 prospects in the country. And then Oregon also would have 35 and, and uh, 58 who are 35 is a five-star prospect on signing day. ESPN always makes the cut list number 52. The top 52 players in the country are five-star prospects. And then Kennedy Basham at 58, six foot seven post would just miss five-star status. Now the interesting wrinkle here, the other program that is worthy of mention when we're talking about number one recruiting class in the country right now would be UCLA. They have three in the top 20, in the top 22. They have the number 19, number 21, and number 22 players in the country committed to their program. Nobody in the top 13, when UConn, Oregon State, and Oregon would potentially have two after each after today, but they are the only program that would have three in the top 22, 19, 21, 22. So you, you're going to have to figure out for yourself what you'd rather have, and obviously it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, it's going to be whoever develops the best and becomes the best. But if Grace Van Sluten commits to Oregon today is when I'm taping the podcast is Thursday. Uh, you could very easily make the argument Oregon has the number one recruiting class in the country. So it matters. And what's funny about it is you go back and you look and you say, okay, what is the impact of Sabrina Unescu? At the end of the day, what is the impact of Sabrina Unescu, Ruthie Hebert, uh, Satu Sabali, that whole crew? Well, 
Oregon was able to host visitors before COVID for one year when Sabrina was on campus. They signed the number one recruiting class in the country. They signed five players. All five were Jordan Brand Classic selections. All five were McDonald's All-Americans. All five were five-star prospects. Then COVID happened. Couldn't host visitors. Got a good class, but a small class. So, okay, fine. Taylor Bigby was the big addition of five-star guard forward. Talented player, but not a huge recruiting class. And again, part of that being because of COVID. You couldn't see everybody at camps. They couldn't come visit. Now we're back to players getting to visit and show up on campus and see what Oregon is in person. And we, you could make a strong argument that as of this weekend, if Grace Van Sluten commits to Oregon, they'd have the number one recruiting class in the nation. So in the two years since Sabrina's, since Sabrina's heyday, that Oregon's been able to host visitors on campus, in the two recruiting cycles they've been able to do that, there is going to be a point at which they have the number one recruiting class in the country, ahead of UConn, ahead of Oregon State, ahead of Tennessee, ahead of Baylor. That is monstrous. It is unbelievable. And Coach Graves and that coaching staff deserve a tremendous amount of talent, uh, of, of praise because they are getting a tremendous amount of talent. And what's fascinating, what has just been fascinating about covering Oregon women's basketball recruiting is the number of prospects who visit and come away loving their visit. Their hit rate, their hit rate with visitors is sky high. They do such a good job at hosting visits. When a player visits, there's a really good chance that player is committing to Oregon. At the very least, if a player visits and they have Oregon in their top 12, top 20, top 15, Oregon's going to make the top three or four. Kennedy Basham visited. She really liked it. She wanted to make a return trip and quietly said, the key is to meet the whole team. I really want to meet the whole team. Completely organically, not planned at all, not orchestrated at all, the entire women's basketball team went to a football game together. So Kennedy Basham's visit was going to the bas- or going to the football game and meeting the entire basketball team in a big hangout session. And she fell in love with it. And that has consistently been what I've heard from every women's basketball prospect that visits. The team is incredibly close. Kelly Graves, Coach Graves is incredibly relatable. Coach Nared, Coach Mosier, and oh my goodness, I, I am blanking on the fourth coach. But there are four coaches in that program who have just absolutely connected time and time again with recruits when they visit. They're doing a phenomenal job. This stuff doesn't happen by accident. And there's so many people who want to say, well, Nike, well, Sabrina, and those are factors. Sabrina and Satu and Ruthie showed where this program could be. Nike does a great job. We've seen the video of uh, recently that came out that the, the Oregon women's basketball program shared of, of all the players getting their Nike gear. And they call it, you know, they're joking about how it's Christmas day and they're like two bags full of all this stuff. It helps. But at the end of the day, when I talk to women's basketball prospects who visit Oregon, they don't talk about Nike. They don't talk about Sabrina. She's not there. She's in New York. They talk about the connection this program has to one another, the players, and the relatability and the trust they have in Coach Graves and his staff. And I I think so often, so often, people who don't pay attention are reductive when it comes to 
recruiting and what it comes down to. It, it's not necessarily and very rarely, if ever, is it just about who pays the most. Amani Bates is the number one prospect in America. He reclassifies, becomes a top five prospect, and chooses Memphis. When he chose Memphis, he didn't choose Memphis because they offered him slightly more money or he thought he could get slightly more money in NIL deals than anybody else. He believed in Penny Hardaway, his head coach, that he would allow him to thrive in the Anthony Hardaway role. And that Jalen Duran, Imani Bates' friend, who's also a five-star prospect, could play the Shaq role. You have to be able to sell that, sell athletes. They have to trust you. They have to believe in you. And you have to be able to sell them on a vision. And a lot of times, seemingly more in women's basketball than men's basketball. It can be about the chemistry of the team, that that's a massive piece for a lot of prospects. And Oregon does a great job, not of telling people that the chemistry in the program is good, but organically showing them that the chemistry in the program is good. And I hear it time and time again. And you look at this Oregon-Oregon State women's basketball rivalry. They've both been to Final Fours. And they're both recruiting at an exceptional level. And so much of that has to do with Coach Ruick and Coach Graves doing a great job of showing people, again, not telling, showing them what their program's all about. That'll do it for the recruiting trail. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. No visitors. Oregon State's on the road. Oregon on a bye. So not a ton to get into in terms of who's visiting, but still a lot to get to, as always, with a fall episode of the recruiting trail. Thank you for listening.